This is Designing the Robot Revolution, and a special episode about the tools needed to create wonderful automation. My name is Jacob Magnell, and with me as always, my co-host David Griffith-Jones. Today's episode is a little bit special. As you might know by now if you've listened to a couple of episodes, me and David are service designers, and we rarely talk service design on the show, at least not specifically. But this episode is all about design, or more specifically, analysis. Analysis is a very central concept inside of service design. Service designers often pride themselves in being able to take qualitative data and transforming it into something that is insightful and powerful to communicate to the organization that we work with. If we want to create wonderful automation, We must talk to a lot of people and then analyze what they've said in order to understand what needs they have and what wonderful means for them. Welcome to follow us on this journey into analysis and service design. And I hope that even if you don't practice service design by yourself, you might learn something new. In any case, enjoy. So, Jacob, I'm about to start a new project and we're going to end up, hopefully, with loads and loads of data from interactions with the customer. But we need to make sense of it. But how do you go from all of this data collected in different formats by different people at different times into the endpoint of this zingy, business-changing insight? Short answer, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Right. And I've realized that I, I have no clue. Like, David, am I doing analysis wrong? Well, I, I, was, I was thinking back about when have I seen analysis and synthesis be done great? And I, we can talk more about there were certain things that were done that certainly helped with there being clear steps uh, that move towards that. But unhelpfully, it's a black box answer. Uh, the best analysis and, in- and synthesis work that I've seen done has been by some really great individual people who right. just have the most fantastic way of going, getting all of this raw data and turning it into something zingy and then communicating it well. Um, and yes, it's been an iterative process, so it isn't the first thing they've said. There's been a, a process of sharpening things up, mm-hmm. but it's kind of an, an art rather than a science. Right. I'm fascinated by the last couple of days when I've researched this. If you go into a methods library and you sort of look through what is there when it comes to to analysis yeah you you start off with like how do you approach participants and this is like agnostic to which method library of service design you go to i think uh, we, we there are several uh how do you approach uh, customers how do you conduct an interview how do you do ethno- ethnography uh, focus groups, all of that stuff. Like we, we all know that this, these are these are well established 
these are well-established methods for interacting with customers. But then it kind of stops mm. in every library. I'm looking at one now that goes from interactions and participation and a participant approach to something that they call data visualization, synthesis, and analysis. A hell of a lot sits under that, doesn't it? And it's only visualization. Interesting. There is no no guidelines on how to perform analysis. Yeah. I haven't been able to find in the design space. This is not really true, but I haven't found anything meaningful. Mm. It's a black box. And I love that you bring up that word black box because it really is. It's down to individuals performing a craft. And I love that craft. Mm. I think it's fun. Like, um, I've been reading an article. It's very academic. Yeah. Uh, it's actually from the healthcare space. It's nothing to do with design. Right. It's called value adding analysis doing more with qualitative data. Right. And uh, like the, this leads to other articles that I'm definitely going to dive into. I can see this becoming like a design fundamentals series of mm. of episodes because it's this is a this is a well. Uh, you you can go down this rabbit hole and you can spend a lot of time there. You, yeah. you can you can make a career out of researching it. Let's not do that. Let's just try and unpack what mm. I've figured out so far, and hopefully you and our listeners can help me unpack more because this is fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So. What I've learned so far is that it's, it is a black box and it is down to the individual people doing it. And a lot of it is about having a wide enough reference sphere of stuff that you know, yeah. that you can connect the stuff that you're hearing in your interviews to. Mm -hmm. The research paper uses a name for this, uh, as is, uh, they're, they're, they're calling it uh, coding. And that is the exact same thing as clustering uh, in, in design, which is a method that I think if someone asks me, how do you make your analysis? I'm going to say clustering, which is coding in, 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 in this yeah. journal. So I'm going to be using coding and clustering a little bit interchangeably. And what do you mean by uh, clustering just quickly, Jacob? Yeah, okay. Clustering for me uh, is what I've, built my entire design career on. Basically go out, interact with users, transcribe or note what's happening and what's been said. Then you take all the stuff that has relevance, which is a subjective thing from the, 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 the designer or the researcher, and you put that down on post-it notes. And then you take several interviews and you connect post-it notes that are about the same thing mm -hmm. a phenomenon and you create clusters of those so that's the clustering right. name and then you name these clusters yeah. and then you write something about it make sense of it and this is in essence what this paper says is mm. qualitative analysis yeah. it there, there really isn't 
any magic to it. And they are very clear, like, yeah, uh, there there is no pre- prescription method for, for doing analysis. It's It really is down to um, just the, the, the researcher doing that work, connecting the dots, basically. But they are... I'm going to read you yeah. a, a, a little bit of... of of, uh, of the, the article. Okay. Our opening observation was that qualitative research, particularly in our field, the health sciences, is often practiced in a way that generates too little knowledge, and we propose that this arises largely from deficits of analysis. When researchers venture no further than cataloging data into pre-existing concepts and scouting for themes in quotation marks, they fail to exploit what qualitative methodology does best and squander its distinctive powers of insight. To address this analytic weakness, we put forward an approach of analysis that strive to add value to the output of qualitative research by deepening the interpretation of data and enriching the conceptualization. We describe ways to do more with qualitative data by freeing up and stretching researchers' capability for seeing, characterizing, and accounting for data, and achieving critical perspective and transforming local findings into more abstract, generalizable knowledge. You've got my attention, paper. I want to hear what the what are they recommending because I recognize the problem Isn't statement, this, and then it, what are they recommend? Fantastic, like. Mm. I just want to I just want to stay here in this mm. problem statement a little longer. Yeah. And, and you say yeah, that yeah. you recognize this. Mm. Um what I got from this when I read it was oh, I'm I'm being a little bit uh what's it called when you're not like going very deep? Uh mm. shallow, shallow and uh banal. Is that the mm. word? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, and yeah, it could well yeah, be banal. Yeah, I, I think that. I'm being banal in my my way of anal- yeah. uh, analyzing. Um, oh, I'm feeling ashamed yeah, here, Jacob, because I, I'm just because what happens is I think I was reflecting. You, it's really sad actually. You, you go and you 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 get buy in and you 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 go and do a whole heap of mm-hmm. research. And then all too often, you do not leave nearly enough time to go through and analyze and make sense of mm. the research. It's kind of, you don't, sometimes even don't even have it in the in a project plan. It's just like, <laughs> you know, you do it as you're going and then it's like the last day just before you need to start really getting the presentation right. done. You maybe spend a day then just going, oh my God, you know, what have we heard? And you just cluster some themes and you just, as you say, banally say... You point out some themes. Um, no, I really, really right. recognize this. They go on to say, prevailing models of qualitative analysis often start and end with various forms of coding and inventorizing of themes, a type of bare-bones engagement insufficient for analysis and interpretation of research findings. That's rough. Yeah, that is rough. I, I yeah. want to say to sensitive listeners, it's not as bad as it sounds right now. Uh, they do bring up this problem, but we have some fixes uh, coming. So uh, st- stay tuned. But just staying in the problem space, as you say, Jacob, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes down to um, underestimating how much time, effort and energy is required to do a proper analysis. Mm. 
uh, a lack of uh, skill set and training in analysis. Like yeah. there's skill set and training in how do you go and be a great qualitative interviewer? How can you combine qual and quant data? There's even, you know, there's a increasing maturity around what people talk about triangulation. So make sure you've got at least three different types mm. of research to make sure you, you're seeing truth. That's the, the craft, but that's the craft of research. Right. There's this hole, which we're talking about now, around analysis and synthesis. Right. And what I love with this article, uh, this scientific paper, is that it, it actually is applicable for design. It's not uh, put more money or even put more time. That's not the solution that they're proposing, which to me is great because I'm most often not going to get yeah. more time. I have the time that is allocated to me. Maybe I can squeeze a little bit, bit more out of that time or get a little bit more time, but it's not going to be substantial. Um, but maybe we can do it better. Um, they go on to say, value-adding analysis refers to the increased value of knowledge produced by process of analysis that specifically reaches beyond face value, self-evident meanings of data and beyond uh, prevailing consensus, conceptualizations, and explanation for them. So what they're saying here is basically if we think about what we see in our data and have the, the correct filters, we can do more meaningful things with it. It doesn't have to be these self-evident things that we see in the data because we basically connect the dots and, and try to find things that are there. Um, well, what I hear when you talk about this is the, the, mm -hmm. that black box step of going from you've clustered, you've identified different themes. That's quite banal. Mm -hmm. Going from that to a genuine, a real insight. And we can discuss what mm. kind of an actual genuine real insight is because a lot of the time things are labeled insights and they're not really an insight. But the, what you just described right. there in that text there, for me, was describing what an insight is. Yeah. It is. But it's more than that. It's actually a way of looking at the data as well. Yeah. So... I'm just going to keep reading because I, I just kind of love this stuff. It's, it's There's so much new things for me to think about. Need to be able to penetrate data and bring new possibilities for meaning and interpretation into view. The point is not so much that using stock preconceived notion is wrong, but rather that it can prevent the analysis seeing something as something else from getting a quite different analytical sightline. So what they're saying is that like, you should be doing the clustering or, or coding. Yeah, That's a big part of the analysis. But there are more stuff to the data. You can learn more by interpreting it through a critical lens. I'm just waiting for the part for them to tell me what is the playbook for doing this. <laughs> yeah. Because if they've managed to, do, to describe this... It's going to be really useful. And and, and there is a, a component of that, I should say, uh, definitely. Um, but it's, it's, I think, important to note that they 
are very clear that this is a craft that you will be getting better right. at the more you do it and the mm. wider your sort of lens is. Right. So if you go out and learn more things about more stuff, then you can connect more things to yeah. more stuff. So that, that that makes sense. That part so, is still I, I true. Mean, part of it is, you know, maybe part of this is that I think what is being said is that this is a craft that that gets better with experience and mm -hmm. gets better with deeper and wider um, understanding. Yeah. Um, it isn't so much a thing where you can say, "Here's a step by." a step-by-step -step no. process in which you're going to be able to go from raw data to zinging exactly. insight. And they say as much. As in qualitative research generally, there is no single right way to do analysis. No procedures that will lead uniquely and directly to particular findings and analytical products. The value-adding analysis is not conducted using a predefined set of operations that yield fixed outcomes. I recognize this from just doing my normal banal <laughs> research uh you will different people will come up with different explanations for phenomena um depending on how you approach a subject you will come to different conclusions so you just have to handle that you, yeah. you need to like one good way is to discuss your findings with someone um and, and they say that, yeah, the outcome of the analysis is affected by the individual researcher, what they know and how they act and their sort of, yeah. It's all, everything that is said about having a diverse team do things is still true in the research and, and analysis phase of a project. Um, the context of the study is going to change the outcome of the analysis. So depending on what you're looking for, you will find different things. And then just yeah. decisions that are taken during the study will will affect it. And then probably many other things are also going to uh, affect the, the, the result of the study. I could imagine COVID has changed the outcome of many studies just because it's something that affects the, the participants and the researchers. Mm. I mean, research is subjective. So even the best, best researchers in the world with the best research methodologies and approach to analysis, you have to say it's still subjective. And I think that's one thing that sort of makes it difficult for researchers as opposed to designers. In research, where you have quantitative components, it's... The, the goal is to distance the data as much as possible almost from the, the researcher. I don't think that's necessarily possible because there's always going to be this component of who, who am I, what am I seeing. Um, for qualitative research, you, you need uh, to, to put it through the lens of the researcher, otherwise it doesn't mean anything. So no. in the report, they say that all qualitative data needs to be interpreted to be used like even when we transcribe something we make slight changes to data uh we we have the potential to alter the meaning of what our participants say um and 
that this will happen, but you should be aware of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so every time we interact with the analysis that we're doing, we are interpreting it and then we mm -hmm. assign meaning to things. Uh, we even do that when we want to describe our results. So yeah. every time you interact with it. If you want to support us, please tell a friend about the podcast. That really helps. If you want to reach us, you can do so at LinkedIn at Jacob Magnol or David Griffith Jones. Coming up next, David asks the question, are we expecting too much transformational insight when we do our analysis? And we explore a couple of devices that might help you achieve just that. Most of the time, the, 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 the value, the golden output of research, most of the time, it's not going to tell you something that you had no idea about. That's like, wow, I didn't mm. see that at all. Sometimes it can. But most of the time, that's not going to be the case. Most of the time, it's going to give you a nuanced insight. It's going to right. make you see something subtly different, or it's going to introduce an, a level of understanding that was missing that suddenly enables you to see the picture better, rather than shining a light on something that you had no idea existed. Of course, it depends the context of which you're doing your research. What if I tell you that the next part of the research paper does just that. It tells us how to come up with more transformative and figure out things that we had no idea about. Tell me. Yes. I want to I know. <laughs> okay. We have the fantastic title for this chapter uh, that I'm going to read some stuff from. Uh, Putting Reflexivity to Analytics Data. So one device and they call they're calling these these things devices uh, it's not so much methods rather than devices to get to new results um, so one device that these researchers bring up is to put yourself in relation to your research and for me that sounds a little bit controversial like should we really put ourselves into that but isn't that the only way to understand the bias Yes. Because if you're not accepting that you are subjective and the position you're coming in, then you can't understand the bias. Yeah, exactly. And what they propose is that we actually ask ourselves, how am I as a researcher reacting to this phenomenon or situation? And what does that tell me? <laughs> That's funny. I I'm just... <laughs> It's interesting, like because I just had some funny thoughts come come to mind yeah. then um, of like I, I really don't care. <laughs> Thing one, like if I'm honest about some of the research, like what perspective? I, I really don't care. I just want this project to be done. Right. Um, I have a, I, I have a I have a stakeholder who wants a very specific outcome, and so I'm looking for something that justifies the outcome. Right. I mean, which are actually all very good input yeah. into why this question of why I'm doing it and being honest with yourself about yeah. why you're doing it. And, and and I think, yes. And if you have that, you have to ask yourself the uncomfortable question, are, are you okay with this in this instance? I mean, you have a paying customer, so you you have some responsibility to deliver. I would say even if you have a customer that isn't really inspiring you, or a question that isn't really inspiring you, just being transparent about that will give you some more 
reflections. Yeah. Just sitting down and having that honest conversation with your team or yourself, like, yeah, don't really care. Um, because being honest with you, when I see you work, you care a lot. So I would say that this question is uncomfortable. I think it can have some real benefits. Yeah, and I, I was being a bit yeah, I know, with I know. thoughts that come through in perspective, but the wider kind of, I think, bigger, like, like, actually, that is a really good one. Like, I'm looking, I'm looking for a particular justification for a new business. Mm. Or I'm looking to have a uh, a presentation made by the end of February. I think all of those things actually really help you understand the approach you're taking yeah. to the analysis and inform you and help you actually become better at the analysis, even if it is quite kind of, you know, straightforward, pragmatic things like I need this done by the end of next week. What else do they recommend? Um, they, they have this, uh, and this is more more on, like along the lines of what you're. They're actually um, recommending that you ask, "What stakes do I have in the study's outcome?" This is exactly yeah. what you were talking about. Like, yeah, perfect. Um, I think this is a, just already Jacob. This is a really going back to my original question yeah. about I've got a, a team of people who are going mm. out and conducting research, and then meant to come together and somehow to analyze and come to conclusions we need i need to get them to think about this because yeah. i've got product managers i've got salespeople, i've got developers yeah. i've got data scientists and they're all coming with their own hats of yes. you know the data scientist is has a particular type of algorithm that he thinks could mm. be the solution the sales guy is wanting to sell something the product manager is trying to so i think these are great questions to align a diverse team around yeah really really like it so do you want some more devices for, for an analysis? Yes. Give me some more devices. Yes, please. Yes. I will give you more devices. Reading for Gestalt. I love Gestalt. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you want to know what Gestalt is? I do. Tell me about Gestalt. Yes. It's an organized whole that is perceived as much more than the sum of its part. Mm-hmm. And basically what they're saying is that when we do our clustering or coding as they as they name it, uh, we're actually introducing the risk of not being able to see the whole picture. Right. We 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 hinder ourselves from from finding the bigger story. Hmm. Uh, strategies to interact and open up and interrogate data to carry out a more holistic analysis to work with and move beyond coding include for some, for example, producing data summaries and inserting reflections to the wider context into memos. So basically, like, take your time to summarize stuff while you're doing the analysis um, and, and put down your reflections into your analysis will help you lift the view from the individual clusters to the more holistic viewpoint. Nice. I think that one is neat. It is. It makes me think of something, though. I was recently um, presented to uh, by a team of UX researchers who had gone and done this amazing, great, deep study. Mm -hmm. And it was actually presenting it to to me before uh, they had a a big seminar where they wanted to present it to a, a wider team. And 
they were having so much problem cutting down their material. Mm. It was it would have turned into you know, they needed a day just to present back mm. what they'd found. And then when you start to, you know, when you, what you just talked about there about memos and other information, I, what I see in front of me is, is these research reports, they just become huge. And all too often the stakeholders, the people who are receivers of the report, they, they, I, they want to feel reassured that there's a weight of evidence behind what's being said. Mm. And so a massive appendix with like all the raw information mm. And they want to feel reassured so that if they go, oh, but what was the evidence for that particular thing you're saying there? If you can, every time that is asked, go, yep, that is referenceable from this and this and this. They care about it being referenceable and evidenceable, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to see that. Hmm. They just want to see, what's your research telling me? So you're actually saying that we have an instance here of our customers probably being more interested in the gestalt than the actual underlying data and the the minutia of yeah. our analysis. Yeah, that is. That's, that's neat. I, mm. I love this one. I think it's just lift your view mm. and see the horizon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm going to try and do that. Um, you, need, you need like reminders of these. Yeah. Uh, almost, uh, if you could have... Before you're about to start your working day or before you're about to switch to mm. a session that's about this, just imagine if you could just have an app that just reminds you of these things. <laughs> oh, do you know what I want to do? Like a I want to do a wall thing. word. Mm. Read the gestalt mm. all over my wall. I think that mm. would be I think that would be be neat. Um Okay, another one that I really like. Theorizing. What is this a case of? And this is the most methody thing that's in okay. this report. Like, what, how does this work? So, what is this a case of? Is basically just taking your observations and then moving them to a more generalizable form. Hmm. So, if you have oh, that's nice, yeah, isn't it? I mean, when you when you hear it out loud, it's kind of like yeah, it's almost obvious, but it's not. It, it takes some effort. So what is this a case of is nice. It reminds me of a similar technique. It's different, but it's similar. Let's explore what the similarities and differences are. Of that example I gave where it was some of the best analysis and synthesis work I've I've Mm. ever come across. What happened was we had a big group all going through clustering, theming, and then we broke into smaller groups where we in pairs kept on asking ourselves the question, what's this really telling us? Mm. What's this really telling us? And we were really harsh. We were like, no, that's not really tell- telling us that. Mm. We, we talked about turning the handle on these insights and we did it over and over and over and over again. And we had to present back to the other groups of this is what it's telling us. And people were super critical. But in the end, through that, what's it really telling us? What's it really telling us? What's it really telling us? We got to some really great insights. Now, this one was more about what is this a case of? But I like that a lot because it forces you to you take any piece of the data and then you say, hmm, but what is this? You're being forced to go up a level, yeah. aren't you? I bet you can do this for any 
valuable insight in any project. Yeah. You could lift that analysis one step and just look at what is this an instance of. They say this, there is no formula for how to do it, uh, how to theorize uh, an insight or a, a piece of analysis. But you should do it and you should practice doing it and come up with these like you are going to get your aha moments if you if you do this and i think that's true for all of these mm. uh, devices okay nearly there david are you excited last one very excited jacob awesome writing down the results <laughs> it's epic yeah i know so, what does that what does that mean though what they really mean with the writing um, i'm i'm i'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing here writing is key to the analytic process primarily because it's based in language and language is pivotal to the creation of meaning so they talk about storytelling here. they are talking about storytelling they're talking about verbalizing they're talking about doing that simultaneously as a means of analysis don't write down the results write down the analysis that's really interesting it makes me question, though, mm -hmm. what is great research and what is perceived as great research? Thinking about how it comes down when, when you, they're telling us in this paper to, to write, to write mm -hmm. it down and to, you know, this, the storytelling part is how it's, it, you convey what's in the, in the research. Right. Imagine two scenarios. We have a group, it's a research team and a group of stakeholders in a, in a business or organization who are receivers of the research and then are responsible for taking that and driving it forward for, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. That's the situation in both. In the, in the first situation, we do research. Mm -hmm. We go through these different steps and we're given time for it and then we create this narrative this story that encapsulates it as, as, as you just said there and in the first scenario the stakeholders who we're presenting to feel a connection to how that's being told it feels right mm -hmm. to them it makes sense to them and they therefore score the research really highly the second instance is we go through the, the same process use all these mechanisms but this time we write something that doesn't resonate with the stakeholders but for the sake of this scenario assume that it is actually true mm -hmm. but it doesn't align with what the stakeholders are expecting to receive and it doesn't align with what their ex lived experience of this is and so they reject it or don't mm -hmm. buy into it as much but that Second one could actually be far superior research, far closer to the truth. But really, you end up being judged on whether you've done a good job with research or not about how people feel upon hearing it. So my point being, are we in a situation where sometimes it's the feeling that people are left with is more mm -hmm. important than the actually having something true in your research that is maybe harder for them to swallow? Right. I'd argue that it doesn't matter. The 
the storyteller is the better designer or in this in this in this example it's the better researcher it's it's kind of harsh it really is it is harsh like because, if you, yeah. i think if you're not doing it with integrity it's going to come back and bite you if you're only a good storyteller at some point someone is yeah. going to come up to you and say like you are not doing a good job you need to get out of this this yeah. is not working yeah. Uh, so I don't think that you can only be a great storyteller and, and, and get away mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's better to come across with your message than not to. If you have something that ends up in a desktop drawer, and we, this one of you, we've been talking about this one many times. If your research ends up in a desktop drawer, it was not good research. It wasn't relevant. Yeah. It didn't do anything. No. Uh, and I think that's on us. I think I'm hard-pressed to come up with any scenario where that is the organization's fault. I mean, there can be dysfunctional organizations. I, I realize that I'm being very hyperbolic here. But still, I mean, if we did a better job, it would probably get some traction. And maybe it, it would even change things. Like, people might work for it anyways. And then uh, just to have another practical thing that you can do for your project is to use a working title for the research project. Hmm. And this can be done to align the group around what you're doing and, and will highlight your current thinking around the project and then changing that working title. That's uh, nice. I like that hmm? as a tip. And you explicitly have a working title and then you ask the team at the end when it's c close to being published, right, now we go for a, a final title. I think that's a really nice part of the process. Or, or you have a bi-weekly or, or mm. daily like sit down. Are we still okay <laughs> yeah. with the with yeah. the title for the for the project? So, in conclusion, I loved this article. It's a little bit healthcarey. I've edited out a lot of stuff, or not even edited. I've not brought stuff up. There are tons of material in this one. If anyone wants to go in and read. Um, I highly recommend you do that. It's from Canada. Uh, so that's exotic. Um, I'm so happy to see someone talk about the black box and then mm. doing something about it. Because I have been talking about the black box a little bit and mm. I haven't done anything about it. I've just stayed in my black box of analysis and I've not been able to uh, get past the, well, when I do analysis, I, I, I cluster. I that's what I do mm. and yeah I yeah I've seen I think it's service design doing talk about a research wall which they have as the encapsulation for mm -hmm. a process of clustering a process of visualizing what you've heard and they give this very it's a very you can fit many methodologies yeah. into what is labeled a research wall. I mean, that's kind of the easy answer you can give, isn't it? If, yeah. if they say, how do you go from, you know, oh, we have a research wall. Right. And on the research wall, we can do clustering and we can visualize what we've seen and we can pull out key quotes mm. and we can work out the insights. But it, it's not really an, it, it's still a black box for me. It's just yeah. a kind of like uh, when you say research and I wall. I think that is a good enough answer if you're starting out. I think it's okay yeah. to give uh, a junior designer the advice to 
take everything that is interesting from five interviews, put it up on a wall on post-it notes, put everything that fits together. And that is sort of it. Like it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. I am doing exactly that in a course on Skillshare. I, mm. That is precisely the, uh, the, the level of detail that I go into in, in my course. But to me, because I label it as a like beginner's beginner course, to me, that's fine. It doesn't have to be the only way to do analysis. It doesn't have mm. to be perfect, but it's a good way of getting you started to get you into that mindset of, oh, I've talked to people and I've done something with what I heard and it gave me some results. Because I'm passionate even about that it will give you some results. Like the that bare bones only doing clustering or, or coding research is going to give you results. But it's not everything. You can do more. You can mm. ask all of these questions. And I, I'm sure that there are more. I'm sure that there are even more of these really cool questions that you could ask inside of this paper that I've missed yeah. because it's so long. Um, but I'm going to link to the article named Value Adding Analysis Doing More with Qualitative Data in the show notes. I'm also going to do some self-promotion here and I'm going to link to the uh, Skillshare course for complete beginners. Don't go there if you're an experienced service designer. You're not going to get much, but it's very good for just an introduction. And what what else? We should link to the methods library on uh, uh, this is service design doing. Yeah, uh, it's great. Like there are so many good things there, but when it comes to to analysis, there is not much. Um, Anything else you want to link to or? No, just a comment reflecting mm -hmm. is what we can learn. I think maybe there's, we've spoke, I can't remember if it's, but anyway. What, what can we learn from science, from scientists about how they do research? Mm. About how their papers have to be peer reviewed, about how the, the rigour of the methodologies they have to follow mm. about how they have to register their hypothesis well they're encouraged to register their hypothesis before they start the research then come back i often think i can have conversations with scientist friends and they tell me the level of detail and rigor they're going into mm. and i'm just like, oh god you guys would just <laughs> die if you heard about how unrigorous oh yeah it is in business and so what can we learn from the way scientists are done. Um, I'm encouraged by reading um, this article that we're actually not as messy and unrigorous as we maybe feel sometimes. Hmm. It's the nature of qualitative research is that it is going to be a little bit messy. Hmm. But the the researchers themselves say that there is value to be had if you do this with some care. And I think that is what I, I learned from these researchers, just to be a little bit more careful with yeah. what I hear and just ask a little bit more questions 
and honestly, mm. I think it's going to be easier for me to use this when feedbacking others than applying it to my own analysis mm. as a starting point. I think that next time someone asks me to sort of like look through an analysis of anything, yeah. I'm just going to go into this document. I'm going to like pull out some yeah. of these questions and I'm going to ask them questions. Um, and then I'm hoping that that is going to internalize and become part of my method. Yeah, I could really see me doing that as well. I think they're a really good checklist. I, I'd also like to think that I'll remind myself of these questions and these uh, things when I'm embarking on a big research piece, like like how I started mm. this conversation with, like share this with the team, make yep. them think about these questions at key points in the initiative. I mean, something that's a bit more kind of philosophical, mm -hmm. um, arguably user research is trying to come to define a, a truth based on observations of the world in different techniques, mm -hmm. trying to kind of come to a description of it, a finding or a truth. The world is so complex mm -hmm. and there's so many different variables, including just the perspective you're stood in. Like, where right. are you yeah. in it? That it It's mission impossible, or almost mission impossible. Mm. Very, very, very difficult to actually achieve a description of a truth because it's always debatable through perspective, through time, through where you draw the boundaries, through what other influences you're including. But I don't want to. That's actually a thing. I don't think we as designers in business should strive for representing the truth. In many cases, I think we should strive for creating value, and that's different. We don't need statistical significance in order to create value. We need a credible way of reducing risk and coming up with new solutions to problems. I, I think we shouldn't even try to strive for, for representing the truth. I think that's too much of a that's too much of an ask for us. Sometimes we are asked aren't they? Like, I mean, let me let me qualify because yeah. the, the truth is this big word. I mean, the truth yeah, yeah, is yeah. hugely complex but let's give an example. So, right. people often say, the quant will tell you what. Mm -hmm. The qual will tell you why. Yeah. So often it's this combination and we as designers are generally will often be brought in for the qualitative part, the yeah. why. And there might be a starting point of the what, which could be, why is no one upgrading? I can see a thousand people are downloading my app every day mm. and only one is upgrading. That's that's the what. Right. The data tells me that. But I want to understand why. And that's where the qual would come in to help understand the why. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of representing it. I think, I think the scientific truth. I think that's what I want. Uh, that's what I want to uh, like get to. Yeah. Is I think the scientific truth is too much for us. I don't think we have the resources or bandwidth to actually do that. I think, however, by representing, understanding, and then visualizing why something is happening, as you say, 
we can bring real value to both the customers and the business. And I think that is something that we, again, can and should do with integrity. I think we should be proud of being in that space, not being scientists, but being designers, understanding the world in the limited context that we are exploring mm. and then retelling that to our stakeholders. That's nice. Yeah, I think that sets apart why what the role of designers are in this type of context, whereas what the role of a scientist in a different context is, 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 is different, isn't it? Mm. Uh, it's going to be an easy edit. Yeah, I don't think there'll be too much trouble no. about. We got we, there's a few bits at the end that were kind of maybe. Could yeah, be. but still, yeah. really nice. Uh, thank you for exploring this subject with me, David. I, this is one of these times where sitting down and documenting what I find doesn't mm. do the whole thing. I need no. like the 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 journey of internalizing this is sort of begins here. Yeah, us and, and talking, talking about it, it through. <sighs> Definitely, I already find that as well. I would like to encourage anyone to question me when it comes to this and us and what we bring forth here. Uh, if you have any comments on this, please post on LinkedIn so that we can have a discussion there and then we will take some of the comments and we will share them in a future episode. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd in particular really like to hear from um, experienced specialist user researchers mm. because user research becomes part of a service designer's job. Um, but I also really see the value in having specialist expert researchers who yeah. aren't service designers. This is what they do. And I think actually through this conversation, you see why it is a specialist role in itself 